Hello, and welcome to IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon-Miller at Lizlet on Twitter. And I'm Ben Travers at Ben T. Travers on Twitter. And we come to you this lovely Monday morning. You guys have had some very hard times if you're watching the Sunday night shows last night. Uh, we feel for you, man. We, we, we've been there. We've been through the wars with you. I love how with the leftovers, depending on who I talk to, people are convinced that it's the saddest show. It's like, it's like this week's episode was the saddest episode. I was like, oh, no, I thought it was last week. And they're like, oh, no, okay, well, uh, rough morning. Yeah, I mean, that, I, I shout out to the Walking Dead people who are going, yeah. through, going through some shit right now. I'm sorry. That, that sounds like last night's episode was a real roller coaster. Uh, and, yeah. Meanwhile, you know, now that you're now that your drama hangover as soon as your drama hangover fades away this morning though, you've got uh, Fargo to look forward to tonight. Or do Absolutely. you? Well you should. I mean, it's great, Liz, right? 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 Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Except if you're other people who don't agree with us. There are a couple of people who don't agree with us about Fargo being great, and that appears to be also the vast majority of people watching television right now. Well, it's that's that's an interesting lead in Liz because I mean, do they just not think it looks great so they're not, not watching or do they actually like I mean, obviously some people have tuned in and then tuned out. We've got the, you know, the first two episode numbers in front of us and they're pretty low. Like yes. it was the they're the the premiere was the lowest since like of any episode that's aired so far in Fargo from season 1 and 2 on and then the second episode was lower than that. They lost another like 40% of their viewers. So that's I mean, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm a little surprised that there's such a steep drop-off between episodes one and two. I guess I'm not as surprised that there's a somewhat, a bit of a drop-off between season one and two. It's Yeah, so it's, that's kind of what we're interested in talking about today is what's going on with Fargo? Because this is a show that won, won its awards quite deservedly in season one, has done a thing that a lot of people weren't sure it could pull off in its, its first season, which was take a take a really well established film and find its own unique spin on it and you know the season is really interesting and full of a lot of potential but it's not even necessarily a ratings issue it's just like people aren't talking about it, it doesn't have that buzz that you hear that you know shows like the walking dead or the leftovers or even the affair seem to generate yeah and and in my mind because you know it's an anthology series and because the you know the history between the between the networks HBO and FX as well as just the history between Fargo and True Detective that's the comparison I always want to make in my mind and when you know even for as you know questionable let's say as the quality of True Detective season two ended up being the buzz around it was constantly high people were still talking about it even if they were talking about how bad it was and before it you know premiered the buzz was out of this world and obviously it's got a much higher viewership on HBO than even what Fargo has on FX, you know, through season one and then uh, even in season two. But, I mean, the buzz for Fargo, you're right. I mean, it's just, it doesn't seem to be there. And as someone who was more of a True Detective season one fan than a Fargo season one fan, even though I thought they were both great, I was much more excited for the second season of Fargo based only off of the, like, the continuation of how they made it as well as this cast. Like, it just seems great. So I, I'm not sure where where the buzz went. I mean, people liked 
the first season of Fargo. I mean, there they were there weren't a lot of complaints from audience members, you know, that I was aware of, or you know, in the ratings necessarily, uh, as well as you know, and critics. Critics, like you said, the awards, you know, were out of this world, and and everybody seemed pretty happy. Yeah, um, and it's interesting. Like, I mean, we never run casting guides, uh, casting announcements. Really, we never really go like, oh man, do you know that this person is starring in the show? Um, but with Fargo, we did it because that was how good the cast was. Uh, Patrick Wilson, Ted Danson, Kristen Dunst, Jesse Plemons. Like, these are big people. Um, Jesse Plemons especially so this season. Uh, <laughs> that's a mean thing to say about Jesse Plemons. But I do, I do like the fact that he looks like a genuine Midwesterner. Oh, yeah. I think, I mean, he was in Black Mass, too, and he was a little bit bigger. And he was in, I think he was in another thing, too. And I th- all of the roles seem to kind of call upon him to need to be bigger. I don't think he's doing this just because he's, like, fat and happy. I think he's he's doing it for the roles. So Yes, but he doesn't deserve enough, He doesn't get enough credit for it for, for you know, you That's know true. committing yeah. as yeah. well. Well, and Jesse Plemons, I think, is kind of maybe the crux of the debate on whether or not you'd be really excited about the Fargo season two or not. I mean, obviously everyone loves Ted Danson, but it wasn't exactly like he saved CSI and, you know, he was on board to death, which uh, ended up getting canceled. So he's not necessarily something that is a proven commodity of, Oh my God, this is going to be a ratings bonanza if Ted Danson's on the show. Um, and then Kirsten Dunst has kind of a, I feel, I feel like she's got a bit of a split out there between people, but Jesse Plemons I feel like if anyone who watched Friday Night Lights, and there seems to be a larger fan base for that, knows he's on the show, would be really excited about it. But then I feel like a lot of other people may not know who he is, and then he doesn't matter. And then it's maybe not as exciting. Well, I mean, actually this is making me realize something about about this cast, which is that it the ensemble nature of it is kind of, is kind of limiting in a way that I think last year we had a conception when we talked about Fargo, like the cast of Fargo season one was incredible, but it, you know, there were definitely a couple of clear anchors to it. There was Billy Bob Thornton being super creepy. There was Martin Freeman being kind of shifty and there's Allison Tolman investigating their asses. And that was kind of, that was an easy thing to understand. Uh, with Fargo season two, like there's a lot of really interesting people involved, but they're all playing essentially secondary roles. I mean, the clear, the cl- closest thing we have to a real star is Patrick Wilson, but he's not really anchoring anything. Yeah. And Patrick Wilson is another guy where people know who he is. They recognize the face. I mean, I hope everyone knows that he's a pretty terrific actor, but he's never been kind of a proven commodity or a proven draw. Um, and I think maybe, maybe one of the differences between season one and two is kind of the Billy Bob Thornton aspect of it, where the tone between seasons remain the same, but there's not a Lorne Malvo kind of character where if you saw, you went in to see Billy Bob Thornton, you saw him as this character and you're just like, I have to watch this guy for 10 episodes. Like you felt that immediately in that first season. And this second season definitely has characters that are intriguing, but they're, they're not quite as, I don't know, eccentric or, uh, you know, just kind of grabby as as Lauren Malvo was from from the get go in season one, yeah. Combined with the star power of Billy Bob Thornton, yeah. And I mean, the thing is, I I really I, this is actually something I called out as something I really enjoyed about the first four episodes is that you don't have, you know, this kind of inhuman figure at the center of a lot of the action. Like, there's there are characters who kind of border on that, but they have humanity and personality to them in a 
way that shows that the show is capable of evolving beyond its original original state. That said, maybe people were really into that. Like maybe people just wanted to watch Lauren Volvo bust some heads, etc. Yeah, and I mean it's also worth pointing out that um that I, I I just feel like it's very impressive to I guess critics or or you know TV thinkers like people who really kind of want to invest pretty heavily in in their television series how well they've held on to that tone like you like you're talking about like the the, the it feels very much like Fargo but the kind of the dynamics have shifted a little bit um some of the some of the pressure points in the story have have changed you know ever so slightly and you know maybe you're right maybe that maybe that first episode with Lauren Malvo that immediate kind of simple connection really grabbed you i thought i don't know though i mean i thought also that in the season 2 premiere they laid it out pretty clearly you know this per- these people are bad this per- these people are good and there's these people in between. Like they had this kind of very simple war set up that was brewing, and then the collision was something to really look forward to. So I don't know. It's it's interesting. I guess uh, I I guess let me ask you this: Who do you think is the biggest star in season two? Like who's the biggest draw of the cast in in Fargo season two? Well, that's a really good question because I again I'm going to again I'm going to say that in it, theoretically on paper the answer is Patrick Wilson. But Kirsten Dunst is also a really major player, and yet she's also kind. She is, she is yet another one of these actors who I don't. You, you don't show up at the box office to see a Kirsten Dunst movie, necessarily. Uh, so, you know, her being an important, the biggest star of the show, quote unquote, doesn't necessarily mean that much. Yeah, and I I would agree with you. I I would argue that probably Ted Danson is the biggest. TV star slash draw for TV audiences on the show, but because it's an ensemble cast and he, they know that this isn't Cheers, they know this isn't Becker, they know this isn't just the Ted Danson show, that that's a limiting part of his draw. And then with Kirsten Dunst, um, my admiration and allure and like draw towards Kirsten Dunst, my desire to watch something that Kirsten Dunst has been in has grown exponentially over the last like five years or so when she's been knocking out these incredible indies and just becoming a very, very, very good actress, like somebody who has not given enough credit for what she's doing. And I don't think she's getting enough credit for even these first two episodes of Fargo. Like she's knocking this out of the park. And if you see that, I think that would draw you in a little bit. But you're right, just the name Kirsten Dunst, she's not, she was never a proven box office commodity. She couldn't quite get that, you know, get up to the level of the A-list Hollywood actresses. So yeah, it's it's kind of interesting kind of how that's that's working out. What what indies uh, when you when you talk about the indies she's done? I'm curious what what what, what are you thinking of specifically? Oh, Melancholia for me, like that uh, was a game changer. I I'm not a huge fan of that movie, and I really don't like Lars von Trier films. But I uh, I think she was just incredible in that. Like that just kind of knocked me on my ass. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, for so you so you think Ted Danson is the biggest star in that? I I no. I. I was talking about, I mean, that speaks to what we're talking about, but also I'm realizing now that we haven't seen a ton of promotion for this, for for Fargo season two. I don't think like there hasn't been like, you know, the billboards aren't everywhere. The ads aren't everywhere. Do you, do you disagree with that? No, I, I don't. I think that they, 
I think it would be interesting to kind of talk to somebody in that marketing department if you could get you know some honest answers about what their plan was because I don't feel like I got as overwhelmed with Fargo stuff as I did for season one. I there were definitely there was definitely a push for it, especially in the online community. Like there was a, they released a lot of trailers. Um, they made the most kind of that casting news. They had a lot of those uh, those kind of teasers that you and I don't really like where it's uh, 10 seconds long. And, then, and it's not anything. Yeah. It's not even real footage from the episodes. It's kind of just like a, a snowstorm. Wasn't there like one where there was like a, a shoe hanging from a tree or something? Like, there there's, was a, a couple. there's a woodpecker. There was yeah. a... Uh, God, there was the, the one where like uh, something starts dribbling down and it's a bottle of maple syrup uh, that got shot, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, those those ads are not great. Yeah, and, and and even to that point, that's not necessarily saying they don't work because they definitely remind people of what's coming. But to me, it almost speaks to the fact that maybe FX was thinking, "Hey, you know, this was a huge hit. You know, critically, uh, it got great ratings, especially you know in the live plus three, live plus seven, you know, like DVR uh, viewings and stuff like that. It's only going to build from that first season because people like that so much." Maybe you know we treat this like a prestige show. We don't release too much. We just get a little bit out there, and then you know people are going to want to find it because it's Fargo. Like they treated it as a brand that was solidified already, or you know just trusted it to 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 do a little bit better on its own. But uh, I, I mean, it's a good question. I'm not I'm not sure where that was. Well, it's worth it's worth pointing out that this is. Unlike other shows, this is not one that FX owns. This is not. This is uh, some weird hybrid deal between them and MGM, uh, which you know I could see being a factor. Honestly, you know, you know, it's, it's it's the way you compare the way that AMC treated Mad Men versus the way AMC treated The Walking Dead, where AMC loves The Walking Dead. Uh, it loves it to death because it makes a ton of money, and AMC gets that money because it owns the show. Um, that was not the case with Mad Men. Mad Men was a deal with a uh, with Lionsgate, and you could sense that sometimes in the promotion. Like AMC knew what it had with Mad Men; it knew what it owed Mad Men. But at the same time, like it wasn't throwing advertising money at it the way that it does with The Walking Dead. Yeah, so that's. I mean, that's a very good point. Um, the only way, the only thing I would think to counter with that, and again, it's not necessarily. It's not. It's it's theoretical. Is just that John Landgraf is such a like prideful and committed person when it comes to shows, and he's very competitive with the other networks. He's yeah. always kind of tossing them under the bus, and Fargo was his true detective, and he wanted it to be his true detective, and he that's what they kept comparing it to. That's why it was so important for them to win you know, those head-to-head showdowns at the various award shows, which I think only ended up happening maybe once or twice. But Fargo did. They did it. And he's always been kind of talking that up and very proud of it. And the way they kind of tease it at the at the TCAs and uh, you know, various other areas where the, when they talk about Fargo, when they, when they do speak about it, I feel like they take a lot of pride in that being on their network. That being said, when it comes to actually spending the money, it may be a different story, like you said, with the, with the marketing. So. Yeah. No, that's a very good point. Uh, I, I, I don't mean to say that FX doesn't like Fargo. I think FX has a lot, right. really is passionate about the show. Actually, uh, I believe this was Landgraf, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, at TCA's this year, they, he laid out uh, there are th- three criteria for keeping a show on the air. And so it basically, it, 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 you know, it's not a science necessarily, but in general, if 
they, they look, they want three, there, there are three different groups of people that they look to. There's FX itself, there's the audience, and then there's, there's the critics. And if two out of three of those like the show, they keep the show. So that's why The Americans is still on the air, even though it doesn't have the ratings draw. It's why The Strain is still on the air, because audiences and FX are passionate about it. It's why The Comedians is not on the air, because maybe FX really liked it, but that show, despite all your work, hard work, Ben, did not do well critically, and uh, did not also get the audience. Yeah, that really bummed me out. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, as soon as you laid out that argument, which obviously I'd heard before the TCAs, but my mind immediately went to, well, what about the comedians? Everyone loved that FX and the critics, and I was like, wait, no, I was pretty much. No, you you were you were the critic. Me. You you were you were you were the lone defender of the comedians, <laughs> and the comedians loved you for it. And I, I mean, I didn't dislike the show. I thought it was really interesting. Um, but yeah, I. Well, and here's the thing. I just realized to myself, you know, the comedians, I think one of the problems with comedians was that it kind of was coming out in a time when there was an awful lot of showbiz parody comedy in the world. Like so many shows, it seems like really dig into the topic of, you know, making fun of Hollywood and that, you know, so there might've been some sort of, some, some sort of, uh, you know, overwhelming factor there, but here's another factor, uh, you know, is Fargo struggling right now just because it's coming on at a time when, you know, as we just mentioned earlier, there are four premium dramas on Sunday nights that are really compelling? I mean, it's a fair point, and it's also, I mean, it's it's important to remember the, the season one aired in April and May, and then it ended in June. This is, you know, obviously, like you just said, coming out against everything that's happening on Sunday nights, which is so many shows that people are not necessarily watching on Sunday nights, and they might be catching up on on Monday, and then that pushes back Fargo. Maybe they'll you know, catch up on that, too. We'll see those ratings as well. But, but yeah, I mean, it's a fair point. It's also a different day of the week. It's on Mondays instead of Tuesdays. Uh, it's, it's kind of got different expectations attached to it. Like It, it could very well be one of those things, like, like we talked about earlier, where they had such confidence in it because of how well it performed, you know, in at least two out of those three quadrants, usually three out of three, really, for, for season one, that they were like, okay, it'll work. We can schedule it at this time. We're going to get it out there, and it should be able to, to perform against all these other heavyweights, and then maybe it's just turning out not to be the case. Yeah, uh, yeah, and that's a good point about, cha- about the change in day as well. Uh, but it also reminding me that it started in April reminds me that oh yeah, so what what, what could have possibly been airing around the same time? Oh, just Mad Men and Game of Thrones, like <laughs> yeah, but, that, that's, uh, that's not that's 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 pretty. I mean, I guess it was only those two shows. It wasn't four shows, um, and not everyone is watching. The same people who watched The Affair aren't necessarily watching The Walking Dead or every you know. No one watches everything. Uh, even we don't. So pretty close, though, Liz. Pretty close. <laughs> we do our best. I uh, feel like that's one of the interesting things, though, is is kind of where you might find the crossover, especially if you're looking these shows at these shows as being kind of cr- critical success. I mean, between Homeland, kind of The Walking Dead, uh, definitely The Affair, definitely Fargo, like all of these shows airing within a night or two of each other. Even The Leftovers, you know, has especially for season two, has a lot of really, really, really strong reviews. If you're looking at it at, at just from that perspective, maybe a lot of people are, you know, just picking one or two, and and Fargo's coming up short. Yeah, poor Fargo. 
I mean, the thing is, people will catch up. People will rediscover it. Uh, but it is there a way for it to re-enter the conversation, like to really pick up some buzz? Yeah, I think that's kind of one of the nice things about TV is, especially if there's kind of a landmark episode or an episode that you know just stands out from even within the season itself that usually sparks a bit of critical conversation that might spark a little bit of audience conversation any of those kind of things uh are likely to build up a little bit of buzz and we're only in we're we're like tonight is the third episode of Fargo like there's still plenty of time uh for this show to kind of to kind of spark again and i think that with television that can happen kind of randomly some shows you know, their, their seasons turn out to be a little dull, so then people turn around and, and start looking for other things, or they just don't get the press that, that the shows that are a little more daring or experimental might get. Um, like, I was really excited last week to see You're the Worst get a lot of coverage. That that episode that they aired um, was was a very different uh, direction. It was kind of unve- unveiling a mystery that had been building over the last three or four weeks, um, but it was also just a really important moment in television, and that sparked a lot of conversation around it. And that's obviously a show that needs, you know, a little bit of ratings help as well. Uh, but yeah, it it got it picked up some buzz right there in, in the middle of its season. So I definitely think Fargo can do that as well. Um, and honestly, I'm so nervous watching this show that somebody's going to die, especially Ted Danson. I've talked about it before. I'm really scared about Ted Danson dying. No, I'm not <laughs> spoiling anything because I haven't seen anything, so I don't know. But I'm really, really scared about it. And if, you know, once the bodies start hitting the floor, people start paying attention. They're like, wait, what? Who died? And then you kind of build up a little bit of momentum there, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. As I told Ben, the first time he expressed his fears that Ted Danson was going to die, I reminded him he's not going to die for a while. He's just going to die when we've really come to love him intensely. We already love him, Liz. He's Ted Danson. He's TV royalty. You watch Ted Danson on the screen, and you are in love with him. You're like, this guy's the best. Look at him. Look at him play with his granddaughter and tell her a story about his daughter, and that's just so adorable. Look at you, Ted. You're so cute and funny. Don't get shot by that guy in the Cadillac who is giving you the stare down. That is all accurate. Uh, fun fun fact, uh, Ted Dan- this, Ted- this is Ted Danson's first beard. I don't know if I've mentioned that oh, before yeah. on this podcast, but that was something I discovered uh, during during the interview, and it was really exciting. That it, it was it was really weird because I was like, why, like, why don't guys always experiment with beards? Like, I don't get it. If I had the ability to grow a beard, I'd grow a beard all the time. Well, that's kind of the key, Liz. Some people don't have the ability to actually grow one. Oh, so I've heard. So people have told me. I mean, I know you can just like you you. you blink and you've got a, a full a full face of facial facial hair oh i i did it as soon as uh you said beard like that was a trigger and all of a sudden poof just <laughs> probably heard it probably came off on the on the mic but uh but yeah i can't believe ted danson hasn't had a beard before actually like I, when i saw him in the previews i was just like looking good ted i didn't even think about it being a new thing it just seemed like something he's had to have before i don't know it just fit worked really well i mean it it, it's it, and meanwhile, like you've got Nick Offerman who has everything but a mustache, which I really enjoy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, uh, you know, and if you want to get really, you know, into like the, the Hollywood conspiracy aspect, or well, not really a conspiracy, but kind of play into the studio way of thinking, maybe the beard is ruining the ratings because that was one of the big arguments they always have when they have movie stars, you know, showing up somewhere and they want to have a beard or something. They're like, no, you can't have a beard, people need to see your face and know yeah. who you are. You have a beard. 
you're gonna people are not gonna know who you are, and then they're not gonna tune in. So That's maybe Ted real- Danson's beard is fucking everything up. Yeah, God damn it, Ted Danson's beard. Um, no, actually, I remember that's something that Aaron Sorkin said about the first season of The West Wing is that people were saying, this isn't going to work. You you can't have, uh, Richard Schiff can't have a beard in the show. Like, no one's yeah. going to watch a show but with a guy in a, with, that has a guy with a beard in it. Yeah. Also, no there's, one's going to watch a show with Jewish people in it, which was there's pretty intense. A, there's a pretty mediocre movie called, I think, What Just Happened, but it has, it stars Robert De Niro. I think it's Barry oh, Levinson. Oh, yeah, I, I saw that. Yeah, and there's this big scene in the middle where Bruce Willis is having a fit in his dressing room because he wants to have a beard for this role, and they're telling him, you can't do it because no one's going to recognize who Bruce Willis is. And he's like, are you kidding me? I'm Bruce Willis. People will know who I am. But, you know, it's just kind of one of those Hollywood things. Yeah, so weird. Yeah, I mean, I think my my only other thought about why Fargo isn't popping the way that it might have done otherwise is that... I feel like people tuned in for the first season because it was this weird novelty. Like we didn't understand really what the hell this it meant for the show to be called Fargo, but not and effectively operate within the universe of the film, but have nothing to do with the film. And so we had that, that it was a novelty in season one and season two. It's just like, Oh good, more Fargo. And I think that might be a damper on the excitement factor. And uh, Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a very good point. Um, again, like the counter to that in my mind would just be if you tuned in to see how that first season went and what it was and kind of understand it, you'd have to not like it, right? To not tune in. I mean, you'd have to dislike what you saw in season one to not want to see more of it. Like in my mind, it still doesn't quite click. And, and, you know, there could be a large segment that was, you know, maybe they did like it or they were just like, but that's enough. Like, that's all I need. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, it's definitely a, it's definitely a, a thought that I'd, I'd carry, especially if you looked at, you know, the, the season one premiere was, is the highest rated episode of Fargo ever. And they had like a little bit of a drop off after that, but it, it kept, it stayed steady. So people were keeping with it. Um, and now again, you've got a little bit more like a, a bigger drop off when you're in season two. So that curiosity seemed to be satisfied, at least, you know, from a purely statistical basis, and you would you would kind of assume that they'd want to come back for more of it if they liked it, but mm. uh, you know maybe they just they saw that as the experiment. They liked the experiment, but that was all they needed. Okay then. <laughs> okay then. Okay. Oh, all right. Yeah. Sorry that I, I that was semi requisite. Um, yeah, I mean, it, but the thing is, the show continues to be really ex- outstanding. I've seen the first four episodes. I'm really invested. I'm very excited to see the next see 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 the next episodes as they roll out. Uh, it's it, it it's a it's a good it's going to be a ride I think. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Like I said, I'm I'm current. Like I've seen the first two. I'm doing the episode reviews, so uh, so I'm about to watch that third episode. Get it ready for tonight. But uh, but yeah, I I'm really impressed with the quality of the show. I'm really impressed with all, all of the actors. I, I love kind of how it's been, uh, you know, establishing what's to come, but while they're establishing that, it doesn't feel like work. It doesn't feel like, uh, you know, they're just setting things up. There's payoffs in the smaller scenes as well. And uh, again, like this this community, this, this Fargo aspect of it is so enticing to me. Like, I just love spending time with these people. So I want 
to keep doing it, especially, and I think you had this great line in your review of this, like how nice it is, like how rewarding it is to be able to watch a protagonist and not feel bad about it, like to be able to root for somebody without any guilt. It's not an anti-hero. It's Patrick Wilson. He's awesome. He's the all-American, you know, man slash, you know, patriarch, whatever. Like, and his wife is fantastic. I mean, they're just, the family is something that you want to root for and there's nothing bad about it. So that's really refreshing to watch on TV these days, especially in a prestige drama like this. Yeah. Uh, man, Kristen Malati's so good. Yeah, she's really good. Yeah. The whole I mean, yeah, you could that's the other thing that's that's interesting about that ensemble argument. Even if you tuned in for Ted Danson and you were disappointed you didn't get enough of him, everyone else is so good that it's hard to imagine not being recruited onto some of these people, like to to start backing them and being like, Oh yeah, I really liked that guy and that guy and that guy and like just keep going with it. So. Yeah. I mean uh oh goodness, I'm blanking on his name. Uh Jeffrey Donovan. Uh, Jeffrey Donovan is really outstanding and in a way that you would not necessarily expect from a guy who did 17 seasons of burn notice. Yeah. But he, he really commits to the role and he's like, he's one I've been hearing people talk about. Like I did not expect that from him and he's really great. Yeah. I, I did not really, I mean, I knew he was in it. I don't have any problem with him. I I know he's uh, you know a pretty solid actor, but I would not have expected kind of what he's been able to pull off. And Gene Smart, who I know is a great actress as well, is doing a, a terrific job oh, yeah. um, leading that family. Uh, and then, you know, some of those smaller characters that they cast, his, uh, is it his older, or no, his second, the second oldest brother, the second brother in the family. Um, just Bear. a great piece of, ca- yeah, Bear, just a great piece of casting there and doing, you know, obviously he's doing some tremendous work. Um, I love everybody in Ed. Uh, yeah, in Ed's Meat House, uh, uh-huh. Jesse Plummen's Meat House or Butcher Shop or whatever, all those people are just perfect. They just fit right in, and they've got like the great back and forth going. I, I mean, yeah, there's a lot to really admire about this show, and um, and yeah, I mean, I've I've read the the negative, the, the one or two negative reviews that are out there, um, and it's just one of those things where I just disagree. It's just I, I I kind of get what you're saying and where you're coming from, but I don't agree with it. Yes. So that being said, Ben, what was the best thing you watched last week? Well, I may have mentioned this before, but I think it bears repeating that if you have any interest in horror shows or comedies or horror comedies or Bruce Campbell as a person slash actor, then you need to watch the first episode of Ash vs. Evil Dead. Yeah! Uh, You can finally talk about it now, can't you? Yeah, it's uh, the the reviews are out there. It premieres this Saturday on Halloween. Very fitting, um, and I I can't say enough good things about that pilot. I I haven't watched more than that yet. I've got one more ready to go. I hope you know that it holds up. But it, I mean, the pilot is so satisfying for anyone who's enjoyed kind of more of the Army of Darkness style Evil Dead or, you know, a little bit Evil Dead 2 than than the original. It's not quite as dark or graphic um in some of the some of the really hardcore horror elements of it, but it should still make everybody happy who's who's at all interested in that. And it's just really well done. Like it's a very good pilot in setting up what's to come, introducing really intriguing characters, great diverse cast. Um, I, I honestly can't say enough about it. A very inventive uh, direction too from Sam Raimi. Like you see a lot of directors, you know, kind of coming over to do a pilot for for TV that are well known from film, or you know, that are just well known directors in general. And they often put 
you know, their own stamp on it in a certain way, or you might be able to tell, you know, like, oh, okay, I can kind of see the influences a little bit. This feels like a Sam Raimi film. Like, it, it feels exactly like, uh, uh, what was it, Drag Me to Hell, or, you know, Army of Darkness, anything he's done. Like, very well put together uh, piece of TV. Awesome. Go but uh, what about you, Liz? What's the best thing you've seen? Uh, I have to say, I'm... I'm I'm trying to figure out how I feel about it still. Like I'm still processing Man in the High Castle, but they released a second episode as a part of a preview over the last weekend. And we're going to get more episodes soon, but I it's it's such a dark show and it's such a smart show. And I don't know if it's an emotionally gripping show, but certainly there are some choices that they make in the second episode that are really grabbing and really just it's it's so interesting it's such an interesting show and it makes I, I kind of wish the casting was a little better there are a couple of actors who I don't think really really grab me the way that I want them to but I continue to be really interested to see where it goes with that yeah no that's definitely a fair point I mean that's that's definitely a, a strong aspect of that show I mean that pre- the premise is so good Right. And so just seeing how they where they take it is going to be the important fact. Agreed. Uh so Ben, what was what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Um I'm going to do a twofer because I feel really guilty about one and I also kind of uh, I don't feel like I have enough knowledge on the other one, but I'm very curious about the ABC drama Wicked City. <laughs> of course you are. I I'm an admitted fan of at least the first season, probably two seasons of Gossip Girl. Um, and Ed Westwick was so good at being kind of the creepy, rich douchebag on that show. But with his very own signature twist, I'm kind of interested to see how he plays uh, like a serial killer or something weird uh, on, this, on this 1980s anthology series. Um, but even more than that, the fact that Erica Christensen is following up Parenthood a Jason Kadem's family drama with this, with this really dark looking anthology series set in the eighties where she's like some sort of Bonnie and Clyde style lover murderer with Ed Westwick. It's nuts to me. Like it's one of those things where it's, it's kind of like, it's not the bonkers TV that you talk about all the time, Liz, but maybe it's my kind of bonkers TV where it's like, I just don't understand how this ever got off the ground, how everyone came together for this kind of thing. And I, just need to see how it plays out. I, fair, um, fair enough. I, I, I fully 100% in, will let you have this one. Because um, <laughs> it just looks like it just looks like Aquarius without David Duchovny to me, and it looks super boring as a result. Well, yeah, I mean, anything without David Duchovny. If you think of something as it should having David Duchovny, and then there's not David Duchovny, then, you know, that's incredibly disappointing. Yeah. Um, but to, to give myself a little more credit, or not credit, to give myself a little more uh, um, respectability, I guess, I am also very excited for the returned season two premiere on Sundance TV, also this Saturday, October 31st. Um, our deputy editor, Eric Cohn, already reviewed this uh, when it premiered at TIFF uh, and loved it. Thought it was, uh, I think, what he, did he say it was the best mystery on TV? Was that what he's? Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. he got mad at him because he was ta- clearly not including the leftovers in his assessment. Yeah, I thought that was a, I thought that was a bit of an oversight, but you know everybody gets a little excited when they see some good TV, so it's all right. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm still very excited to see what uh, what the return has in store for season two. Hooray! 
Yes, I think that one's going to be. I, I that that's a guilt. That's a guilty one for me. I feel like I should. I need to sit down with the returns properly, uh, and this might be the thing to kick me off into doing it. Yeah, who knows? I mean, they'll they'll it'll be out there. You'll be able to check it out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Liz, what uh, what are you looking forward to this Halloween week? Uh, nothing Halloween related, really. Um, but I'm going to also do a twofer because why the heck not? You got two. Yeah. Uh, so for, I'm going to at some point today watch Supergirl again. I've seen, I saw the pilot a while back, but I didn't really engage with it. And I feel like it's a really strong show. It's a really, there's a, the reviews have been really strong for it. And I enjoyed watching the pilot the first time back when I did it. And I think there's a lot, there's a, 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 I've talked before about like, I sometimes I just really enjoy watching a ha- nice show where everyone is happy, and Supergirl <laughs> definitely, or not nice show where everyone's happy. Supergirl, but Supergirl definitely isn't trying to really dig into the darkness of the human soul. It's a show about a girl who wants to make the world a better place, and that's nice. I like things that are nice. Uh, I'm a nice person in general. So, it's true. It's very true. And and it, yeah, it should be noted that <laughs> that Supergirl is not the Zack Snyder slash. Uh, Christopher Nolan version of Supergirl. It's very much uh, Greg Berlanti's uh, show. So hell, if she uh, if she does end up snapping some necks, I I won't I won't be that upset. Oh my god, can you imagine if she did that? Like especially if it was the second episode, like the pilots just oh, yeah. all lovely and fun, and then in episode two, she's just cracking people's necks. Well, it's one thing I want to say about Greg Berlanti's uh, take on the DC universe, the the, the shows that he does do have a real engagement with the question of are are we killing people is that a thing like uh this is actually a major part of arrow in season one he's just like hey i got this bow and arrow i'm gonna shoot some dudes and then eventually by the end of season one he's like whoa i've become a murderer and that's not cool <laughs> so season two sees him kind of like trying to be like i'm not going to kill you this time and that's a real struggle for him the whole season long. Some might argue it gets a little repetitive, but you know the point is is that there's a dialogue in play with the human cost of being a superhero in the Berlanti universe, and uh, I don't think Supergirl's going to shy away from that. Uh, I would question how long it took him to realize that he was murdering people and that maybe that was a bad idea, but he's murdering bad people then. <laughs> Well, that's true. I mean, yeah, if I sat through Dexter and, and trusted him as a hero, then that's fine. <laughs> Arrow. Um, yes, because Arrow and Dexter are like the same show. Potato, potato. Potato, potato. Uh, the other show I'm going to just, I, 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 sh- I need to sit down with, and I've been not doing it, and I feel bad about this, but point is, I'm going to sit down at some point this week and watch uh, a couple of episodes of Flesh and Bone which is this very intriguing yeah. drama coming up from stars uh, created by, oh, Moira Mattaggart, uh, hyphen something. Uh, but she was she's an Emmy winner, winner after working on uh, Breaking Bad. She wrote some incredible episodes of that show. And this is her new ballet drama, which looks like Black Swan, but without the crazy. Just the incredible dark, you know, in- incredible darkness of, the human soul. So I'll watch that after I watch Supergirl because, you know, God knows I shouldn't be happy for too many minutes in any particular day. Yeah, I was going to say two points. First, reverse the order of those so you can end on the happy note instead of the sad note. <laughs> then, maybe, maybe, maybe that is what I should do. Good point, Ben. Good point. And then, and then two, Moira McTaggart is such a great Irish name. I, I mean, I Wait. just hearing you say it is fantastic. 
It might like, not be Moira McTaggart. Moira McTaggart might be. Well, if a it's character not, from, that needs to be a well, character on a show or something because it's just it just screams Moira McTaggart. That's fin- no, I, mean, I think Moira McTaggart is the name of the character that Rose Byrne plays in X Men First Class. I think that is a X Men character. <laughs> She's not Irish at all. Shit. Well, Rose Byrne is Australian. That's close enough. I I feel like that's very far away, both like literally and figuratively. Moira Wally Beckett. All right, yeah, that's different. Yes, that is a different thing. I hope she is as talented as Moira McTaggart. The word is fun to say. <laughs> oh, delightful. Delightful. We are delightful, Ben. And if you want to see how delightful we are when we use our words, you can find us on at IndieWire.com, covering the re- wonderful world of television from reviews to interviews to features to whatever crazy thing I came up with uh, in the middle of the night that I decided to write in the morning. And we also have podcasts. Yeah, if you want to hear some delightful podcasts that aren't just me and Liz bantering about television, perhaps about the new uh, movies that are coming out this week and the Oscar race, which is in full steam ahead mode right now, then make sure you listen to Screen Talk with our deputy editor, Eric Cohn, and uh, editor-at-large, Ann Thompson. And then uh, in addition to that, if you want to be kind of on the inside take of what's going on in Hollywood, some of the hottest, coolest, uh, most relevant people talking directly to our own editor-in-chief, Dana Harris, then do not miss the IndieWire Influencers podcast as well. Yes. And you can find Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers. And you can find Lizlet on Twitter at Lizlet. Yeah. I That is correct. So we'll be back next week. Uh, Fall TV hasn't killed us yet, and we're hoping it won't have killed us before next week. That is my point. Yeah, there's more Fargo to watch. There's more, much, there's more Fargo to watch. You guys should check out Fargo if you haven't. Yeah. If you've gotten to the end of this 30-minute podcast without checking out, <laughs> with, with, and you haven't watched Fargo yet, perhaps we've convinced you to do so. God, uh, if, we, if we haven't, then we really messed up this podcast. That's we, just sad. Yeah. It's sad. But we're going to end on a happy note, which you guys, there's plenty of television out there. Please, keep watching it. Mm-hmm.